Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bane, click and I bang. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, I have got on Bonnie Snyder, who is the Director of High School Outreach at the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, a.k.a. FIRE. She's also the author of the new book, Undoctrinate, How Politicized Classrooms Harm Kids and Ruin Our Schools and What We Can Do About It. So that is a mouthful of a book right there. But Bonnie, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, how are you today? Yeah, I'm all good. We actually wanted to record this a little bit earlier. I was having some internet issues, but I think I've sorted it out now. So hopefully we'll have a nice, smooth podcast. So I've done a brief intro there, Bonnie, but tell the people a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, I, um, I've been working at FIRE for five years. FIRE is uh, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, and we defend constitutional rights on campus. We're nonpartisan. Um, most of our employees are lawyers. I am not a lawyer. I'm a, um, an educator for the most part, and I've been a college professor. I've been a um, high school teacher. I've been a high school counselor, and I've been a mom with kids in school, both mostly public, uh, a little bit of private school as well. Uh, and you know, this topic of politicizing education has been important to me for a while. Awesome. And uh, what was it that got you involved with FIRE to begin with? Oh, that's that's a great question. I mean, I think that I have been aware of um, the issues that FIRE deals with ever since graduate school. I actually went to, believe it or not, a lot of the issues that we're hearing about came out of humanities departments. You would think they, they would come out of, you know, political science departments or uh, um you know, maybe even economics departments, but but a lot of it came out of uh, humanities, which is where I was studying. So I feel like I was sort of there at the beginning when these ideas sort of were coming into the academy. I actually uh, dropped out of an English PhD program over it. Uh, back then, it was sort of called it was called critical theory at the time. Uh, before that, it was just called theory, literary theory. Uh, and then it became critical theory, or at least, you know, my introduction, it was critical feminist theory at the time. Uh, and I just d- did not find value in it. I-, I found that it was, I felt that it was a waste of my time, a waste of my energy. I looked at the literature that people were writing and I said to myself, not only do I not want to read this, I can't imagine ever producing any of this, you know, 
um, scholarly, these scholarly types of articles. And uh, so I just left it behind and went on with my life. Uh, and I was, you know, I had hoped to become a Shakespearean, you know, professor of Shakespeare. And I recognized it then when it, my kids were being exposed to it, because in the intervening years, it had trickled down to uh, K-12 through the academy. Mm. So that first uh, notion of critical theory, which you encountered decades ago, um, what did that look like? What was it that they were teaching? Um, well, it was it was more like what they weren't teaching. I mean, it was ridiculous at the time. It was also called deconstruction, which I just called learned to call or I just uh, nicknamed it destruction because it was just about tearing apart all of these great works of literature that I really wanted to study and I really wanted to learn. And I remember arguing, I wasn't arguing, but asking um, one of my professors to try to convince me to stay. And he said to me, you know, we're deconstructing the canon. And I said, well, that's really interesting for you because you got to study the canon and you already know it. But for me, for a student who's arriving, I'd like to learn it first before I deconstruct it. And I really felt like they were doing things that were interesting to themselves instead of what was appropriate for the students. So, um, you know, it was it was like they were just sort of indulging their own their own interests. But it reached the point back then, this would have been in the 90s, that they actually were arguing that, you know, one liter every literary work is as good as any other literary work. It's this sort of great leveling. And it reached the absurd level where they would say that reading a restaurant menu is the equivalent of reading Tolstoy or, you know, reading Shakespeare. It was that ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, there's a, I mean, I'm not the first person to say it, but they often say that there are, are ideas that are so stupid that only an academic yeah. could possibly believe them. And that absolutely sounds like one. It's yeah. also funny because it undermines their own profession, doesn't it? I mean, if everything is the same as everything, then what's the point of even going to university? What's the point of even studying if everything is just equivalent and none of it matters? Um, it seems like a very self-defeating point. Well, and I think that we're finding out that it is because uh, enrollments are down in college and uh, specifically among males. The, the uh, You know, a lot of colleges are like 60 40, uh, 65, 35 female dominated now. And so people are staying away. Uh, and yeah, they have undermined themselves. I mean, their credibility and, and, you know, the value of a college degree, if why invest in it, if the, you know, this piece of paper, it, the, the, the only thing that it represents is the value that people, you know, infer from it. And if you undermine it, then, then clearly. And I mean, now, you know, we were just discussing how a person can go out and get a job making six figures, I think driving a truck right now. So, uh, you know, why put yourself through that, especially if, it, you know, I, I was willing to make a sacrifice because I really believed in the value of it. But if they were under my, you know, like, yeah, the humanities doesn't pay all that well, but at least you get the enrichment of reading these wonderful, great works that informs your life. And it, you know, hopefully ennobles you and, and fulfills you and gives you all of these great insights. But if you're going to just going to hand me a restaurant menu, you know, this is not worth my time. There was also a lot of just rejecting books because of who had written them. You know, like you're supposed to not look at the book, uh, you know, and what the book has to tell you. But repeatedly, there was a particular student, female student in every class who would just denounce every book that was written by a white man. 
and you know she would point out well this was written by a white and it's like, of course we all know that everyone knew that before this already started um mm. Yeah, and so like I, I, I just that's another uh, you know this identity politics game where you're supposed to judge something, the value of something by who did it, and you know I, I make the point in the book that you know there there are other methods of judging the value of something or or figuring something out. It's like just because somebody has a certain identity doesn't make them right or doesn't make them wrong. It's like you know the vaccine that we came up with for the COVID virus, like, I don't care who made it. What I care is that they followed a rigorous process and that they tested it and cross-tested it to dis try to disprove it until they found the best possible solution. And ultimately, it doesn't matter if it was a man or a woman or what race they were or even how old they were. What matters is the process and, and you know, and even a child, if, you know, the, the you know, it's like that old um, fable of the emperor's new clothes. Truth can come from any source. Even a white man can be right sometimes. <laughs> I mean, a couple of a couple of them have been right a couple of times. I sometimes. mean, yeah. I mean, if we if we were to get rid of everything that a white man's ever created, then uh, I don't think many people would want to live in that world in reality if they actually think about it. Um, but one thing that's really interesting is that you're talking about this back in the '90s. So I think that oh, yeah. in the time we live in now, in 2020, 2021. A lot of people are, for the first time, hearing some of these concepts. A lot of people, up until a year or two ago, perhaps had never heard of critical theory, let alone critical race theory. They'd never heard of perhaps some of the gender ideology, postmodernism. A lot of these other ideas, and uh, as Gad Saad calls them, idea pathogens. But you encountered all of this stuff decades ago. So how have you seen that evolution happen? Well, I, I think that um, the you know it's it's spread throughout academia. I think that uh, academia has been drifting to the left through the intervening years. I think that um, some of the other ways in which this has spread includes, um, I mean, it's it's happened slowly and also suddenly. And I would say when I encountered it, I, it really I now understand was not the first. Uh, that was not when it was introduced to academia. A lot of people would trace it back probably to the 1930s. Um, and and uh, so you, you, how have I seen it come into K-12? I mean, slowly and then very suddenly is how I've seen it happen in K-12. Uh, I think that, you know, it's come in many guises. It has come, there's been a lot of arguing about diversifying the curriculum. And, and I do think we have been diversifying the curriculum over a number of decades. But what has suddenly happened this past school year is, I think, radicalizing the curriculum under the guise of diversifying the curriculum. So I think that there's a lot of, um, a lot of deceptive language is used, a lot of cloaking is used uh, to import these ideas. And I think that, you know, what is presented to families and parents is often, you know, not what's actually behind the curtain. So I, I think there's a lot of, um, of deception that has taken place and parents mm. are figuring this out. I hear that. What do you think is the goal with all of this? Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if if I want to go back, I I think there's a lot of Marxist ideology embedded in what's happening, and I think that there are Marxist aims. I, I think that there are very strong political aims, and I think that kids are a vehicle. Uh, certainly, they're impressionable. 
they, their faculties are not fully developed. And I think that, um, you know, without, I don't want to overly politicize our discussion, but I, I do think that critical theories are based in neo-Marxism, if you look closely. And, uh, you know, it is a means of, and I, I think that, um, you know, I think that critical race theory, which is the thing that people are yelling about the most right now, although this problem has many forms, um, I think it is an argument for implementing Marxist solutions. I think that, um, so I, I just wish that if we, I, I'm not opposed to discussing Marxism in school. I think it's an important topic. I think it's worth discussing. I just want it to be transparent about what we're talking about. That's that's a um, a criticism that I have of critical theory. I mean, criti mm. critical theory is itself a criticism, but a big problem with it is that it will not withstand, it will not stand for criticism of itself. And, uh, you know, it's a disagreement. It's saying that this narrative that, you know, the dominant narrative, we have a, a disagreement with it. And, you know, in America with free speech, we, one of the things we want in school is to allow kids to disagree, uh, to allow anyone in our culture to speak up and say, I don't think so. And here's why, because we might learn something from that. Uh, but it's the way in which it's being implemented in that this is the answer. We know that it is and do not question it or else you are going to be condemned. And that's a very fearful thing, uh, position for a child to be put in or anyone. A lot of people are afraid to speak up because of the consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely something that's uh, there's a big chill that's been going on mm -hmm. for a long period of time. And it's getting worse and worse and it's infecting every every segment of Western society, for sure. For someone who's not really familiar with some of the terminology, uh, can you give a little primer on what critical theory is to someone who's not very familiar with it? Oh, gosh, critical theory. Um, let me think. I mean, the in terms of critical theory and critical race theory is, is basically saying that... Um, the narrative that we've been presented with isn't true for everyone. Uh, and in terms of critical race theory, they're essentially arguing that um, if you look at American history through the lens of race, you will see that there are certain systems that have been built into our organizations that continue to cause problems today. And, uh, and, you know, so it, you could look at our system of justice, for example, and uh, so that, yeah, and, and then you could do the same thing with feminist theory and say, you know, that there are certain systems that cause women to experience disadvantages. Uh, and you can, you know, measure these and that you could, you know, you could do a critical feminist, critical feminist reading of Shakespeare, you could uh, do a critically race, racialized um, reading of, you know, Shakespeare or an interpretation of statistics. So it's, it's a lens. It's an, it's a way of looking at the world It's one, it's one way of looking at the world, but it, there's sort of some teachers, some activist minded teachers are presenting it as the way to look at everything in the world all the mm -hmm. time. And I think that students need to be given multiple perspectives um, and to be able to sort of interrogate that position as well. But it it's it's being prevent, uh, presented in a heavy-handed sort of uh, coercive way. We call it thought reform at fire, where it's like you know it's one thing to present 
a child with like, oh, have you thought about this? Have you considered that? Have you looked at it from this perspective? But it's another thing to imply that you need to look at it from this perspective. Don't dare look at it from any other perspective. And if you do, we're going to humiliate you. That's, mm -hmm. that's happening to some kids. Kids are being shamed. Kids are being labeled according to their skin color sometimes in classes and being told that their existence is inherently problematic. And, um, you know, it gets up against, and there are lawsuits now, you know, uh, civil rights lawsuits, because a, a child who's required by law to go to school and then is sort of stigmatized or separated and uh, targeted because of their skin color. I mean, this is something that we've learned not to do, but now we're deciding, well, if the right people do it, it's okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, it's going to court. Can you explain some of the things that you've encountered personally as a mother? What are some of the things that have you have you had a have your children been subject to some of this? Can you give a couple examples of things that you yourself have encountered or perhaps your children or other people's children that you know have had to had to deal with in this regard? Because I think a lot of people don't see how far it's gone and just how insidious yeah. it all is. Yeah, I mean, I've been keeping lists uh, for a couple of years now, uh, and I did pull my daughter out of a private school over some of the nonsense that was going on there. I'm actually embarrassed to describe some of the stories that went on in their, in the school. Uh, but one, one, I'll give you one example that went on in the school. I mean, it just one example is that on Columbus Day, my daughter went to school, and her teacher told her that Christopher Columbus is a, a giant d bag. She, you know, and I, I and I just thought. You know, so I went in and, and I said, you know, okay, first of all, language. And second of all, you know, would you say on St. Patrick's Day that the same thing about St. Patrick? And, you know, and but what really got to me was that she denied that it had happened. And a lot of people are having this experience. So there's the whole deceit are a part of it that's happening. Uh, my daughter was also given uh, in school the Communist Manifesto to read, which it, I don't object to. It's an important book. Everyone should read and understand it. But then she was sat around a table and asked to compare capitalism to communism. And the class, having been given one book to read, the Communist Manifesto, and the class decided that communism is a better system than capitalism. And again, when I went in and I said, what kind of learning exercise is this? They denied that it even happened. I knew perfectly well that it had. And, you know, you can have a bad lesson and teachers can learn, but when you lie about it, which is what they did, now you're dealing with bad people. And I was like, that I can't fix that. Like, if you are mm. deceitful people, then just like morally, you are not people I want my child around. So that was the crux of what went wrong at that school. Uh, but in terms, I mean, I have so many of these stories, Zuby, that- Can I, can I, I ask, uh, yeah. how, how old is your daughter? What sort of age are we talking about here? Oh, my kids are in their 20s now. So this was 10 okay. years ago. That this was, was 10, 10 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this is when they were about 10? Uh, no, they're, they're or, 25. So oh, 15. sorry. Yeah. Okay. Teen teenagers. Teenagers. Okay. This was, and, and here's another thing that was going on. They had this club called the Diversity Club, and it was student run. And they would put the kids in the auditorium. And it's kind of a small school and they would stand in a circle and then they would ask you or they would sit, you would be sitting in a circle and they would put you on the spot and say, if you support this cause, stand up in front of everyone. 
And back then it was causes like, um, it changed all the time, but it, uh, the one I remember was uh, Occupy Wall Street. Do you support Occupy Wall Street or not? But the next week it would be something else. So you had to, to decide whether publicly you were going to either stand or sit. And even if you were for it, you had to decide if you wanted to, everyone to know that you're for it. And if you sit, you know that everyone, and, and they would follow you. Like the, the, the teachers sat there, they thought this was fine. And then anyone who didn't stand for the right causes, they would come to you in the hallways and you would be corrected. So there was intense peer pressure. It was like, you know, Lord of the Flies-ish kind of bullying types of behavior. That was 10 mm -hmm. years ago. Um, so and yeah, now we have students, we hear from students at FIRE who, you know, I, I can't, I, I self-censor all the time. It's like my teacher doesn't care what I think. She doesn't want to hear what I think. She wants to hear what she thinks. And now I have a choice. Do I say, am I honest in class or do I have to play a role? But in terms of some of these whoppers, I've got them divided into five categories. I have so many. Um, one of the, the ones that caught a lot of attention was the Antifa teacher out in California, I believe, who was caught on camera saying that I have 180 days to turn these kids into radicals. He was giving them extra credit to go to, I guess, Antifa rallies, you know, which is misusing his power as a teacher to award, you know, grades, credit, right? That goes towards your grade in order to get you to participate in his pet causes. Uh, that's a real moral problem. Uh, mm -hmm. Right now we are seeing it depends what week it is, where I'm, where my focus is, but we're hearing a lot of lurid stories. Um, like I, I heard at a conference, I was at six-year-olds being asked, um, are you bisexual? That doesn't seem like kindergarten as I remember it. Um, you know, uh, Megan Kelly, the broadcaster, I guess she's a podcaster now, said that her third, her son was asked in third grade, are you still a boy every week? Are you still a boy? Because when you are a teenager, there are drugs you can take and then you can have your genitals removed if you don't want to be a boy anymore. Third, does that sound like third grade? First graders being taught to how to masturbate. My joke is I was taught how to hold a pencil correctly in first grade, but these kids <laughs> are being taught really different things. Um, I have a lot of exa I have examples of deception, not just my own. Oh, but one of my favorite stories is, um, oh my God, favorite story. My first year at FIRE five years ago, a student contacted us because the school was doing a walkout. And uh, there were a number of these, a couple of these walkouts. This one happened to be for uh, after the Parkland shootings, and it was for gun control. And it was, I, my understanding was students who were supposed to walk out, you know, like they were striking school because it's not safe and they were going to teach the school a lesson. Uh, but this school decided that the whole school was going to walk out, teachers, administrators included. They're just not going to have school. They're just walking out. And this student said, but I don't agree with this cause. I, I don't, I don't want to support this cause. This isn't my view. And he said, can I just go to school this day? This is public school. And they said, oh, well, no, actually you can't because there won't be anyone in the school to supervise you. And they said, well, we're just going to go walk around the track in a circle anyway, which seems like a pretty pointless exercise, but that's a side point. So their solution was, how about if you, um, we have an idea, you'll just stand in the middle of the track and we'll just walk around you in a circle. Uh, right. How, what, what adolescent one, and, and no one thought this was a bad idea. So um, that's just an example of the sort of warped thinking that we're going to put a teenager 
in the middle of the track and we're going to walk around you and you're the sole you know dissenter you are the one weirdo in our class who won't participate I, just common sense yeah that's that's crazy um also again like i said i'm surprised by i knew that this stuff has been going on for a while but i didn't know that it has been that bad for that long right. something else i've also noticed and i mean this might be my own myopia and bias to some extent because i don't have the same knowledge of everywhere else but it seems to me from what i know that a lot of this stuff is relatively unique to the western world I, this doesn't seem to be something that's necessarily happening globally it seems to be a big problem in places like canada particularly the anglosphere canada uh usa uk perhaps Australia, New Zealand, maybe some parts of Western Europe. But it's not really a, a global thing. It seems to be something that is specifically happening in the modern Western world. Number one, is that something that you've noticed or you think is, is correct or is it wider than that? And number two, if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that um, my observation is that it seems to be worse in affluent areas in the United States. And I, I guess in the world, we are among the affluent countries. So it seems to be some sort of self-loathing maybe, or um, guilt-riddenness and a way of, uh, you know, I'm all for, you know, examining ourselves and self-reproach, but I, I, I also believe in balance. And I think that we've, you know, I think there's bad things, and there are good things about the United States. And I think that, you know, I just think it's general common sense in, in terms, you know, what my, the president of fire has uh, talked a lot about mental health and young people. And he wrote the book, the coddling of the American mind. And, um, you know, I, I just think you, in terms of preventing kids from the anxiety and depression rates that are skyrocketing now, let's give them more optimism than pessimism. I think that that's just what young people need because they have so much of their lives ahead of them. And this is just so dispiriting and discouraging. And I hear from a lot of minority parents too, who are like, please don't tell my kids that they are hopelessly oppressed and the victims of a society that mm. will never treat them fairly. This is not messaging that is going to be useful to them in their lives. Uh, I, I did, however, hear from, a, uh, I was interviewed by a Dutch newspaper and they said that they are seeing it there, which is still the Western world, um, if not the Anglosphere, but they, and they see it as being imported from the US. Yeah, it's interesting. The USA is a, a huge exporter of a lot of great things and a lot of bad things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, I noticed the same in in the UK, right? I mean, because the USA has a very different history to the UK. So there are certain things and issues that don't really, that apply to the USA to some degree or and have more truth in them. But then if you try to take that template and stick it on another country, it just doesn't work. I mean, to, to give a fantastic example, I mean, last year, in the middle of last year, you had the whole BLM summer thing. You know, there was the uh, the death of George Floyd and you started out in Minnesota and then in lots of major U.S. cities and even some smaller cities, you started having all these protests and some riots. And then, I mean, there were BLM protests going on after that in 
different cities in the UK and in yeah. um, uh, random countries in Europe that don't even have black people in them and all over. And I mean, that issue, even if you're talking about, say, like police violence or police brutality or uh, black people or people in general being killed by police in dubious circumstances, like that that's not a British thing. Like that that's not a UK issue in any way, shape or form. Um I mean it's framed it the narrative is framed in a certain dishonest way often in the USA even, but at least there there there's numbers there where it's like, okay, this is a this is a thing. I think in the UK last year, I want to say the the police killed something like two two unarmed people in total. Um I don't it might have even been two people in total. I don't like it's it's not a thing though. <laughs> like it's not it's just not it's not an issue here, and, right? And it's yet not. before every Premier League soccer game game now they take a knee. There you go. Yeah. Ex- another brilliant example, right? That that's something yeah. that again it was started out in the USA. Um, regardless of how someone feels about it, it's like okay, that's like a very American issue. Also, just in terms of demographics, I mean, the black population in the U.S. is about thirteen percent of the population. In the right. U.K., it's like it's like two. I mean, the USA is a far more diverse country in every uh, meaning of that word than right. the UK is. And but people sort of piggyback onto these things, and people want to be a part of it and get get involved in all this. And it's very. Um, I think there's a lot of cool things that could be imported from the USA. Um, but I think, but not, but not, the, our, not our neuroses, you know. Uh, yeah, that? yeah. <laughs> Not the uh, not the racialization and this obsession over weird stuff, which ultimately is divisive. And like you said, I think it's um, te- teaching this stuff to people and, and drilling it into their heads. It doesn't do any good for anyone. Right. I'm so grateful. I'm very, very grateful that my parents, my teachers, people around me when I was growing up never ingrained this sort of victim mentality in my head or this notion that um oh because i'm black my life is going to be super hard or that white people are just sort of inherently bad or somehow against me or whatever it is i mean it's not good for black people it's not good for white people it's not good for people of any race any ethnicity all it does is creates um fear and anxiety and potential hostility and grounds for conflict. And it creates this us versus them mentality, which is something I'm really not a fan of. And as we all know throughout history, when you do that, uh, like it's crazy. My my mind has so many thoughts on it. I mean, in the USA of all countries, people know not to play that game. I mean, it's not that long ago that you know it was worked out you know what uh maybe judging people based on the color of their skin and treating them differently or demonizing that's that's not a good idea let's move past that and it seems like it got past that and i want to say that in the i want to say that in like the maybe the 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 90s and 2000s it kind of mostly all went away like it was really on life support and now in the past few years you have people there really, really trying to bring it back to life. You, you, you have people who are thriving. I mean, racism is almost an industry uh, yeah, which people yeah, are, are, are profiting off of, right? at least race, race hustling, let me say, right? You know, Especially stirring all these pots. In academia. And, in academia, very much so. I mean, it is a yeah. huge business. I mean, billions have been spent on this DEI industry 
you know, and in the schools, these uh, consultants, one of my, I have a couple, you know, a couple pet peeves. And one is that, you know, teachers are supposed to be licensed by the state and you're licensed because you're in a position to do harm. You're dealing with vulnerable people, in this case, children, other people's children, you know, you, you we have to be fingerprinted now to, to be around children. And yet they let these consultants just come in the side door and they it's really unregulated industry. And they're doing some really weird stuff. They are just like implementing these therapeutic techniques that are unproven that, you know, uh, the best example I know of is that Boston Public Schools hired these group of consultants who uh, are, you know, ha had to be fired. And, and there's this huge, you know, or rather large scandal involving what they're calling unlicensed therapy. Like, I was trained as a guidance counselor, and I know enough to know that I don't know enough to do the things that they're attempting to do. Okay, what were they doing? Oh, well, they were like taking kids like just here's a tip. If anybody wants to take your kid away on like some weird weekend with the, you know, the creepy youth counselor, don't <laughs> sign that permission slip. And it's they, like one of the things I saw was like, get down on a mat and wrestle with each other. And that will relieve you of your racial tension or something. And I'll watch. What? 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 Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that, right. Look it up, Boston. Look up Boston, <laughs> uh, Boston Public Schools Unlicensed Therapy. Like the students are traumatized. They're like something bad <laughs> happened to me, and I I don't oh want to talk. Gosh. Just weird, just weird stuff. And like these these teachers seem to think that they are therapists now. You're not. You're not a therapist. It's like if you're an English teacher, there's a very specific. You know, there are learning standards for your grade, for your state that you're supposed to cover. And it probably doesn't talk about the latest, you know, whatever's happening in the news. Like talking about current events is always risky uh, because, you know, there's a saying that hindsight is 2020, right? And so if, if that's true, that means your present sight is probably less than perfect vision. And so there's a reason why teachers don't just go in there and be like, let me tell you what I think about, you know, the, the upcoming election. Let me tell you what I think about what's going on right now. Because first of all, you've got kids from all sorts of backgrounds in the classroom. And second of all, you know, I, I, I give advice to teachers too. And I'm like, look, if um, you have to be even handed, there have been lawsuits where teachers have lost their jobs and, you know, been, been fired because of their lack of even handedness. And and also you are supposed to avoid inflammatory material. Inflammatory material, it means it's going to like heat up. It's going to blow up. It's going to cause a, a fire by way. I mean, like people are going to get there and you're not going to get through your lesson for the day. And uh, so so I, I'm all, I tell them, you know, look, if it is currently trending hotly on Twitter or in the op-ed pages of your local newspaper, it's probably not the best lesson because nothing's going to get accomplished. People are just going to get upset. You're going to have an argument and little will be learned. Right. You're just mm. going to people are just going to like, yeah, kids will be interested in it, probably for all the wrong reasons. It's not that that's not to say you should never talk about what's happening, but it has it's a school. It has to be covered academically. Like it, you're not hired to just sit there and shoot your mouth off about your personal opinions. Nobody should mm. pay for that. That's not what what teachers are there to do. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think is the what do you think is the way forward on this? I see I've, I've spoken to and I see a lot of different opinions on this. I see people who think that the public school system can be reformed. 
I see people who just think, no, we need to abolish it. We need to pull all the children out of these schools. We need to homeschool or set up co-ops or private schools or whatever it is. Uh, what do you think is the way forward? Well, it, it kind of depends when you ask me if I'm feeling optimistic or pessimistic. I'm kind of, I'm kind of right in the middle. I'm kind of like coming down from, I'm coming up from pessimism, to, but I'm not too optimistic yet. Um, I would not advise someone not to invest, uh, investigate homeschooling right now or to consider investigating in it. I think, you know, we've been going to homeschooling conventions with fire to promote our curriculum. We have curriculum materials. I guess that's one thing I would advise is like, look at our curriculum materials about your rights and about free speech. They're nonpartisan. They're aligned with learning standards. Um, but I, I do think we're, I think personally that the power of the unions uh, and that the power of credentialing and the power of the ed schools, that's a whole other problem here. Uh, the imbalance in the the professors at the ed schools, I think their power what, what, is... Sorry, when you say ed schools, what does that mean? I'm not familiar with the term. Yeah, so to become a licensed educator in a state, you have to earn a degree. And usually that means you go to an education school. Okay, um, gotcha. Yep, and the ed schools are among the most imbalanced in the whole academy in higher ed. And like I would say that there is virtually no intellectual diversity left. It you know it runs the gamut from you know Y to Z in in terms of of the spectrum of thought that that now exists there. So uh, you know how do we fix that? This problem has been decades in the making. It will not be solved overnight. If you're worried, I mean, I pulled my kid out of out of a school and we ended up doing cyber schooling and it was much, much better. Um, so I think that, the, the you know, there's a big movement to have the money follow the child. So if you're spending $10,000 a year on this kid's, edu- you know, on each kid's education, why do they have to have that money spent at the local public school? Why can't they take it? I, I understand that... Um, you know, that enrollments at religious schools are skyrocketing, but even some of those are, uh, have social justice mindsets. So, um, in the private schools, you can't buy your way out of this in most cases. In my understanding from what I'm hearing is that it is worse in most private schools than even in the public schools. At least the public schools have layers of oversight, like the school board, and you're seeing the explosive uh, action going on at school boards, but p- private schools don't even have that. Yeah, that's, well, that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, there's, there seems to be in the private schools, I'm picking up that there's resentment. I mean, you've got very affluent parents at many of these, and it seems like there might be some resentment among the staff for this parents and they perhaps take it out on the students with some mm-hmm. of this ideology. You know, the, the neo-Marxism involves class envy, right? And resentment, stoking resentments. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think these are, you know, traits that humans have. And we used to try to, you know, cultivate our better nature. But I think right now we're indulging those very unpleasant aspects of human tendencies mm. with these I've ideologies. Absolutely. I've seen some debate recently, again, in the USA about putting cameras in schools. Do you think that there should be cameras or that each of these classes should be recorded so that parents can actually see what is going on? Because it seems that with the advent of remote learning um, due to the pandemic situation and the lockdowns, Mm -hmm. it seems like a lot of parents suddenly realized 
by oh, snooping yeah. in on their remote learning sessions, they raised some eyebrows and some questions about what their kids were actually learning. So do you think that's a good idea? I hear some people think it's some kind of invasion of privacy or it might make people act weird. But other people have said, hey, you know, if cops should have uh, body cameras that are kept on, then absolutely teachers should, especially if they're there with all these children. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that um, there are there are pros and cons with it, but ultimately there already are cameras in every classroom because every kid in there has a cell phone, and a lot of these incidents have been brought to light because kids are filming their teachers. Um, and so teachers, be advised, you are likely on camera even if you don't know it because these and, and just the fact that kids have enough wherewithal to film their teacher. I, I don't. Did you ever have a teacher who behaved so badly that? you felt like you should report them or would film them because their behavior was that inappropriate? Um, in hindsight, yes, okay. absolutely. In, in hindsight, absolutely. I mean, I went to boarding school and there was some stuff that went on there, which um, mm. like, to be honest, as a kid, some of it, I was like, mm, this is a little bit weird. But as an adult, I'm like, man, that was screwed up. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yep. So, um, I mean, based on based on that, I'm guessing you think there should be cameras in classrooms. Yeah, I mean, I haven't thought about it that deeply. Um, I don't see a great. I don't think the argument against it is particularly strong. I mean, right. if you are a if you're a teacher, I mean, if I were a teacher, I don't think I'd have. I don't think I'd have any issue being being right. filmed or being recorded because. Right. It's, it's, I think the police officer comparison is, is actually decently fair. It's like, well, you know, you're, if you're doing your job properly, there's nothing to right. be concerned about. In fact, it could also protect you a little because if someone, right. makes an, if someone makes some kind of accusation against you or says that you said something or you did something and you're like, hey, no, I, I didn't do that. You can just be like, all right, like review the footage, listen, listen back to the recording. You can hear what was said. So actually, I, I think it's um, I'm not a big fan of like cameras everywhere, surveying people right. everywhere. But if you're talking about a situation with 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 kids and, you know, an, an adult figure, whether it's a classroom or a nursery or something like that, then I think the argument for it is is pretty solid. I think it's pretty solid. Yeah. And I mean, Public school teachers are public servants the same way that police officers are. And if police officers have cameras, then I can understand the argument for it. I, I think personally, I, I don't see too much problem with it. I know that some people at FIRE do. Uh, and, and it's mostly, I think, in the realm of protecting the privacy of the students. So probably it would come down to, you know, what would you be doing with this film? Like it might chill speech because kids are afraid their parents will see it. So they won't be mm -hmm. honest and open about what they're saying in school. So I, I can understand that argument. And then it becomes a question of, you know, well, does this outweigh that? Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I believe ultimately it's, um, you know, the, the, the parents really, I mean, some people have this weird notion of like the state owns your children, right? Right. But right. I think very much that the the buck stops with with the with the parents, and you know, it shouldn't be. If I have a child, I'm not I'm not a parent yet, but I'm just thinking I'm kind of working this through in my head because I haven't thought about it that much in detail myself. But I'm thinking, 
okay, if I've got a son or a daughter who is who, who's going to school and there's some issue or whatever, why why would you? Why why would a teacher want me not want me to see or hear what my child is learning? Right, that that in itself raises a concern as to okay, sure well, what are you, right? What are you trying to, what are you trying to hide from me? Right. Sure I mean, I, I I remember going to school. I mean, if all my school things were recorded, I mean, there wouldn't have been anything particularly for the most part, which would have been you know. It, was, it would, have, would have all been fairly mundane. Cool, you're in math class, you're in English class, you're reading a book, you're doing some tests or whatever it is. Um, but I think in terms of the of, of the conduct, yeah, I, I think I would... I don't know. I don't know why... If someone didn't want me to be able to see or hear it, I would think that something is up. Then you'd really want it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, exactly. I'd think that, wait, yep. what's going on? Why? Why are you trying to hide? Why are you trying to hide this from me? I I, I think it's a shame that it's uh, I think it's a big shame that it's even potentially considered necessary or something that right. needs to be considered. You know, I think the ideal thing would just be that cool. You just have great teachers, and they're decent people, and they're honest, and they're honorable, and they're not trying to manipulate and indoctrinate your children in any kind of bad or perverse way. Um, but given what we know is already out there and has been for decades, um, yeah, I'm not a, and, and I think as long as it's limited in that scope, I think as someone who's very libertarian minded, I guess the, there's always the concern of like, you know, concept creep or, or the, the slippery slope of ending up in some crazy surveillance society where, right. Like that, that's a general concern always, but. Again, something limited to if we're talking about public, uh, if we're talking about public schools, we're talking about, you know, people's tax money is is going to this. These people are public servants. They work for the state. Then I think that's a different realm to even a private school, perhaps in a, in a private school. That's a different matter. But um, in a public school, I think there should be some some visibility of that. And and I, And it could also be done in a way where it's not a. Where it can't be sort of misused, right? We're not where okay, where you're, you're you're filming all the students and there's privacy concerns or whatever. It could just be, you know, uh, I I don't know. You could even blur blur people's faces or you know what what whatever the case may be. It could right. it could be a camera that's primarily on the teacher and you're not even you're not even seeing the students. Just like you kind of have these CCTV cameras and things or even audio. It could even just be audio. Right. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm, it does. Maybe it doesn't even need to be video. It could just be audio. Just hearing what's going on. Maybe. Now I'm wondering how many cameras already are in uh, are in classrooms. That would be an interesting study, or if that data is even out there. I mean, I think ultimately it'll be determined school board by school board, and the you know, mm. which is how it's supposed to be in public education. It's democratically decided, right? You know, you yeah. vote for the people who represent you, and you have a say. And. Uh, majority wins, but there is this really annoying attitude that a lot of teachers have they, about my classroom, in my classroom, my this, my that, and I'm like, you know, it's not your classroom. That classroom belongs to the community. They're the ones who mm. pay for it. It's you know, this their children are in your classroom, so you can get over this idea that it's yours. Uh, and you know, one of the examples of deceit was uh, Philadelphia. We're we're based in Philly, and. Uh, teacher who asked publicly on a message board 
that, you know, they talk about it as doing the work. And in this case, I think he was talking about gender work, right? We're doing the work, which is activism, in, right? Yeah. And, uh, and he says, how many of you, when you're doing the work, have adopted the strategy of what happens here stays here? Which is, you know, and I joke in the book, I'm like, what is this, Las Vegas? I mean, how creepy mm. is that? This, and that's that, that deception and the lack of transparency, which is exactly why these parents are showing up uh, so angry. I mean, there has been so much good faith between home and school that has been squandered in the space of the last 18 months. You know, because we all have, I think, this, most of us have this rosy conception of schools. And, you know, you take your little kindergartner there and that's the first time you hand them off to another adult and you have to trust that that person will not try to undermine you or turn your child against you. They're doing that in the schools too, you know? It's like, you don't know this, but your parents are really bad people and they're upholding a system of, of, of oppression and, um, you know, systemic discrimination. And, um, you know, you're here to stop it and you're here to uh, to fix it. And and so they're set, you know, they're putting wedges between races, between the generations, between parent and child and, um, you know, when you take your kids to school, it's probably the first time that you've handed them off. Maybe you have to a babysitter, but you're trusting perhaps a stranger. And the only thing that gives them credibility is the fact that they represent the school, you know, that they have this credential, they're a teacher. And you have to trust that they're not going to work to undermine you or work to turn, you know, God forbid your child against you, which I'm hearing that they're telling kids that, you know, your parents are from a generation that is, discriminatory and they uphold a system of patriarchy or cis hetero this or whatever it is and all these other isms and uh but we're better than that and we're going to build a new world and you know you know they're like colluding with your kids against you uh in some of these systems and and so the the trust that we've always presumed between school and home has um so much damage in the last 18 months has happened and it's going to take a very long time to restore that trust. And, uh, and you know, it, it begins with transparency, owning up when mistakes have been made um, and then resolving to work together to do it. But when you hear, uh, you know, the, the big news this past week has been this NSBA letter. Have you heard about this where the National no, School I'm, Board- No, I'm not familiar. Oh my goodness, the National School Boards Association sent a letter to the White House asking for uh, interventions uh, because of the parents showing up at school board meetings and they likened them to domestic terrorists. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes, and, yes. And then the DOJ responded and said that they will uh, coordinate efforts, which is, you know, the DOJ letter was, memo was not as overwrought as the NSBA letter, but this is the National School Board Association that, you know, these are the people that we take our problems to and they're calling parents domestic terrorists. I mean, mm -hmm. talk about um, hostility. I mean, I, I think that we've seen rising disrespect for parents that has now risen to outright contempt. Mm -hmm. And this is not a path forward that has to be corrected. Yeah. Honestly, as a growing up, I never really considered. Uh, I often think about, okay, what what am I going to do when I have when I have children in the future? And homeschooling. I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, I knew a couple homeschooled right. people, but like, I mean, I went to, I went to I went to a good school and everything. I went to good schools, so lots of this stuff wasn't really uh, a concern. But 
the way I see things going now, I'm like, man, maybe I'm going to end up, end up homeschooling, <laughs> end up homeschooling my future kids or yep. putting them in, putting them in something different because, uh, the trajectory and the trend on this is, is concerning. And to use the activists own language, you know, perhaps it needs to be, uh, dismantled. Yeah. Right? Perhaps, it, perhaps the yeah. institution is yeah. so, is so corrupt that it actually just needs to be, you know, taken apart and let the free market do it. You could deconstruct, deconstruct it. it. Yeah. Exactly. Let the free market do its yeah. job. Let parents step up and work out the best way to do things. And ultimately, I also think that, I mean, I've had problems with the education system for, for quite a while. And I think that it's one of the few sectors or industries which hasn't really been properly disrupted yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm in, I'm in the world of music and entertainment. Music has been disrupted, right? Things have gone from physical to yeah. digital. You yeah. had the advent of downloads and streaming. Photography, disrupted, right? People aren't going and, uh, you know, using the camera, the film cameras now and right. going and getting. I mean, so many industries have been disrupted, disrupted, disrupted. Right. Education seems to really be lagging behind in that it hasn't really evolved much over the past I don't know, century. It's still kind of, <laughs> We're still right? Yeah. Yeah. It's still based on this model that all these kids are going to go and work in a factory or something. And, um, you know, start at this time, end at this time, have bells in between. I'll sit down in this room with this. I mean, yep. I, I don't know exactly what the way forward is, but I think that if the, I, I feel the same about university as well. I think university also massively needs to be disrupted because the value for money is terrible. The opportunity cost for most degrees has never been worse than it is now, and it needs disruption. And I've I've said before that education is not expensive. You know, higher education even is not expensive. University is expensive. Education right. is cheap. University right. is expensive. Um, and people conflate those two things that you know, university and education are identical, and and they're not. Um, and so I think that once the credential. Once the credentialing can be worked out, because I still think the greatest value, particularly from university, is getting the piece of paper, right? You know, I went to Oxford University, so I've got a piece of paper saying I went to Oxford University, right. and that's recognized globally as like, wow, this guy must be smart. He must be brilliant. Um, but if you could get that credential from another, another way, in a way that it's, it's sort of recognized and respected and... I guess you'll never be able to, you know, perhaps beat something that's existed for for many, many centuries in terms of name brand recognition. But I think that with the shift of online learning and other new channels that are going to be popping up, I I think we're going to come to a time. And it's already slowly happening. I know a lot of young people who own companies and they don't care what degree you have. They care what if you can do the job right. If I'm going to hire someone, your degree is totally irrelevant to me. Um, in fact, there are certain degrees which will make me uh, less likely to. Yeah. <laughs> that would make me less likely to hire you. You know, if you if you majored in, um, I don't know, if you majored in women's studies with a side order of uh, queer theory, then um, that's going to raise raise some red flags for me. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think with every challenge comes opportunity, and I think that as concerning as a lot of this stuff is and as concerning of a lot of the things going on in the world are i think it's creating an opportunity for bright people and entrepreneurs and pe- people with values and principles to mm-hmm. step up to the plate and create something new and better 
it's all out in the open now. I mean, I've been sort of, you know, shouting into the wilderness for, uh, you know, at least a decade on this. And now there people are shouting too. And uh, I am not the only, you know, I was never the only one aware of this, but most people are aware of this now. And that's a very good thing. So I think that that probably is, is a positive note is that awareness, you know, recognizing there's a problem is the first step to fixing it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Bonnie, where can people check out your book and where can they find you online? Yeah, well, I am uh, at, at Bonnie Kerrigan on Twitter and you can find the book, at, I would say it on Amazon, Undoctrinate. And I do have a website to undoctrinate.org. Amazing. Bonnie Snyder, thank you for coming on the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. It's been amazing talking to you. Same here. What a pleasure. Thank you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.